eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast as we continue to work our way through Penn State preseason camp. My co-host Sean Fitz still dinged up. He is on the mend, but... We're not going to rush him back into action before he's quite ready. But right now we bring on Mark Brennan, just the guy who is critically acclaimed for his last appearance here on the Lions 24 seven <laughs> podcast. So we are thrilled to get him back. And Mark, uh, always love tapping into your decades long coverage of the Nittany Lions. We actually will get into a little bit of basketball recruiting talk later on the show. We got a bunch of football to start with, but um, obviously you cover both teams. And I figured let's take advantage of that because the Nittany Lions did pick up a hoops commit this week. So we will get to that in just a little bit. Yeah, uh, great to be here. Obviously, uh, you know, we're, we're saving Sean for the the, the uh, regular season and next week. So we'll be good to go, but always happy to pinch hit what I can. Well, we are happy to have you. And, and let's start with with what we've seen in the last 48 hours or so, Mark. Once again, you and I were at Penn State practice on Wednesday. That was an evening session. Fortunately, it was right after a massive thunderstorm rolled through the valley. We avoided that. We were out in the field for about 20 minutes. And that was the second time in five days that we've had a chance to look at this team in person, Mark. These are kind of a frantic, scrambled coverage sessions because we have limited time and we're trying to to see what's going on with a hundred different players and a bunch of different coaches. Uh, but but let's start with a couple position battles that are beginning to come to light based on conversations and based on some things that we've seen. Running back and safety, and let's go with the offensive backfield first. Let's begin with this. Have you seen the backfield where one through five, every single guy has had a moment? or a game at the power five level. Some of these guys have had seasons at the power five level where they've impressed, but you go one through five, there's not a guy on this running back group who has not actually contributed at the power five level, reached the end zone at the power five level. Yeah. I mean, you'd have to go back to 94 with Kajana Carter and uh, Mike Archie, Stephen Pitts, Milne, and, uh, uh, the other Whitman. I mean, they had a, they, I mean, they were absolutely loaded back there. Even Ambrose Fletcher, uh, but, and two of those guys were fullbacks, but they used the fullbacks a lot more, but yeah, I mean, I, I think Tyler, that this running back group, we mentioned it in the last podcast. I don't think there's a group in the nation that's being overlooked more than this group. And, and you know, I, you can't really fault people on the national scene because, you know, Noah Kane didn't play a whole lot last year and, uh, other guys were limited at times and, uh, nobody was the workhorse last year. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you look at the, the, the amount of talent and depth that they have, it, it's just unbelievable. I think the real key is, you know, Noah Kane stay, staying healthy. Uh, I think if you have him as, as your first running back and then you go to Kevon and then you work to see who's going to be that third back, you know, you're going to be in an unbelievable situation. Uh, but let's see how Noah Kane is. He says he's a hundred percent. He says he's fine. Uh, knock on wood, let's hope that's the case. But I think he's really the linchpin to the whole thing. I mean, a big back runs really well, you know, doesn't have the Saquon Barkley top end speed, but who does? Uh, but if you put him with a 235, 240 pounder like Kevon Lee, and then out of that remaining three, you figure out who's going to be the third, that's a great one, two, three punch. Right. And that's what we have really become become to understand is that the plan will be to use three running backs on a game by game basis. Um, Now, who those three running backs are in week one may be very different from who those three running backs are in week four. This is uh, an impact. 
injury impacted position on an annual basis. There's no way around it at the running back spot. And they learned very quickly last year about how quickly an amazing looking depth chart can crumble and leave you picking up the pieces. And, and let's start with Noah Kane because he's back. There's a lot of buzz about him right now. Um, Jaywan Sider had a lot to say when I caught up with him on the field a few days back. And I wanted to share this clip with our listeners because I think it really takes you inside to not just the importance of Noah Kane on the field and, and, and I do think he will be the first running back out on the field in Madison, Wisconsin on September 4th, but also what he means to this running back unit away from the field and how that's gone this offseason. Uh, I think he's back. I think he's back, but I thought also back as a veteran player. Until about year and three, the game changed him. You know, everything done slowed down. You done played in this conference, so you done seen all these defense. You can recognize them now. Before, they were just like guys moving in front of you. Now he can call them out, four down, three down, what this front is, what are they doing, and how to attack him. You know what I mean? I think he's going to allow him to really take over and play to his strength. Um, mentally, he's there. He's over that hump of being hurt. He's motivated. He's eager, especially for a kid. I know we said it before. He's never been hurt before until he got here, and that's hard. And, and people always, well, he this. Let me tell you, you, you can't prevent injuries when you play the game the way he plays. You know what I mean? And, and it ain't like he get beat up. I mean, his contact balance, his center gravity, the way he played low, you don't hit his by up by. He got none of those injuries. It's just been a freak deal. And uh, it's good to see him back. I mean, the way he's playing right now in practice, the way he's stepping up being a leader. And he'll tell you right now, you actually put a depth chart, he'll put himself last. But that's the type of guy. If he want to go work for everything, he, he got to go earn everything. And that's what, that's to me, what makes Noah special. You know, he don't want to be giving anything. He want to go take it and earn it. Kind of similar to what he did as a freshman. So, Mark, right there you hear a ton of respect for Noah Kane from Jay Wan Sider. No surprise there. Kane's not here without Sider being here. So when you when you kind of look at, at Noah and and you hear John Lovett a few days ago say he carries himself like a fifth-year senior, and you hear Sider say if Noah's making the depth chart, he's putting himself at number five, that sets the tone to me because you get some big egos in this group, you're going to be destined to explode in a negative way. Yeah, I also think the fact that Noah Kane uh, used last season, you know, didn't mope, didn't get down. Well, yeah, Jer- you know, I mean, he, he said it himself, yeah, you're looking next exactly. to him at Journey Brown and what he's dealing with. You and don't have a lot through. of time to feel, feel bad for yourself. Yeah, so you can't even compare it. But the fact that he used that as a uh, – obviously, it was a tough situation getting hurt three plays in. But then to use that as a positive and to keep your eyes focused on what's going on on the field – learn from that that's almost become a cliche but it's true i mean this guy he stayed around the team uh kept learning and then for him to grind away in the spring where he barely got on the field that's not easy for i mean remember i mean he was a second year player last year that's not easy for a young guy and for him to keep that laser focus you know through last season through the spring uh and then just to hear the hear in his voice how anxious he was you know number one for practice to return and then his thoughts about that Wisconsin game getting here I'm really you know speaking of anxious I'm really I I can't wait to see him play because I think you're going to see a guy who's really ready to go and you may be in for some special things this year I, I really do you know again knock on wood hope that he stays healthy uh, but just his whole attitude through this whole thing, completely different. And I mentioned in the previous podcast, you know, when we had a chance to talk to him last summer, you know, via Zoom, a little bit hesitant to talk to us, wasn't the most confident guy. And then you see the change when we get the opportunity to talk to him on the field at media day, you know, just projecting himself as a more confident person. You could see where he's emerged as a leader. All those things are positives for Noah Kane. Yeah, I don't think that confidence has ever been lacking for Noah. And that goes back to when he was 14, 15 years old. I think he is very, very conservative about speaking highly right. of himself, which isn't a problem for a lot of football players. But but Noah Kane does not like to go down that path. He likes to let the proof be out there on the field. It's been a while since he could produce that kind of evidence, but he'll get his opportunity pretty soon here. And I think you, you made a great point earlier about this backfield being overlooked. You're seeing lists come out about you know, the top potential tandems at the position or the top running back rooms. And I'm like, where is Jaywan Sider's group on these lists? Because Noah Kane's out of sight, out of mind the entire season last year. Uh, Kevon Lee came on strong, but I think 
a lot of national reporters, a lot of reporters in general, when they write up what's going on this season, they're looking back at last year's stat sheet, right? So you see Kevon Lee with what four touchdowns, a little over 400 rushing yards. Maybe that's not blowing you away. You don't realize that the bulk of that work came in a three or four game span that we witnessed and we saw him come on strong. You throw in the fact that John Lovett had by far his least productive season at Baylor. He was their leading rusher each of his first three years. They had a coaching staff change with Matt Rule leaving. Was not a good fit for him offensively. Really sputtered all season long when he had his opportunities. Did not play a lot of football generally. And then, of course, Devin Ford, the narrative around him this time last year is that is your number three guy. That's the fun supplemental piece that you can sprinkle in, do some things with behind Journey Brown, behind Noah Kane. The label is very different on Devin Ford right now. There's a big uh, question mark over his head. A lot of people probably wondering if he will be on this roster next year seeing how the uh, running back rotation works out. And then you've got Kaziah Holmes, who who really did not have a lot of touches last year. I think he had eight on the road at Michigan, had his most productive performance against Illinois in the final week of the season, a couple touchdowns, 96 total yards. But you add it all up, and it's not like you look at the stat sheet from 2020 and you say, wow, you had two guys who went off. I think you need a little bit of nuanced understanding of the paths that have led each member of this, uh, of this group to where they are now to really appreciate from top to bottom, what Penn state is working with. Yeah. I also think Tyler, when you start Oh, and five people tend to, you know, Tune you out. yeah, not, not maybe pay quite a, a, as much attention. Uh, and you know, the one other thing that I would mention that as difficult as that was, and Boy, what a terrible situation for for Journey Brown. I mean, you know, I think he was kind of poised to have just an unbelievable season, and you never want to see somebody get hurt like Noah Kane. But the younger guys, I think, tried to make the best of that. And now you have these guys who all have experience. That's the, that's the other part about it. When we talked about it earlier, and I talked about the guys back in 94 and, and how much all of those guys played, uh, that was kind of a different situation. This was a situation where you had two, you know, one illness and, and one key injury. And the other three guys were able to get a, a substantial or the other two, two or three guys were able to get a substantial amount of carries. And uh, so now you're looking at that depth and I'll go back to what I said earlier in the week. Uh, even if these guys, even if some of these guys do not crack that top three and some of them won't, you're going to have some terrific athletes that you could use in different spots on special teams, whether it's in a return game, whether it's in coverage, whatever you want to do, uh, building up that depth. Hey, this is what the great programs do. Yeah. It's, it, and it's, it, it's taken Penn state a while to get there, you know, from back in the, in, in the mid teens when, you know, coming out of the sanctions, it's taken Penn state a little bit of a little while to get there, but we're seeing it at, at some different positions. Obviously, you know, we're seeing it at running back. I think we're starting to see it on the offensive line. Uh, you know, not to that extent, we're seeing it at tight end where, where Franklin has talked about them having the deepest tight end group they've had uh, still young at receiver. Obviously they don't have the depth they need at, at quarterback. Uh, but you're starting to see that, that depth, where it's like, wow, they have quality guys. I mean, it's unbelievable if you go back and think to where they were at running back coming out of the sanctions, uh, you know, beyond, you know, 26 and, and, and some other people. And then even the offensive line where they were moving guys from the defensive line, you know, Derek Dowry and, and Gaia. Uh, over there to help. I mean, the depth, and I know I'm kind of going off in different directions, but the depth, I I think it speaks to the recruiting that they've done over the past few years, building that depth. And that's what the best programs have to do. And later on, our five-star mailbag will bring us back to this conversation. But I do want to denote here, yes, you have five guys who are four-star prospects who have experience at the Power Five level. Um, Four of them have had a 100-yard game, at least one 100-yard game in their college career. But there is a risk at trying to force too many guys in the field. And I think we saw that play out a bit early in the 2019 season, that 2019 group, 
who became very quickly known as the Lawn Boys, it was a different circumstance because Ricky Slade was coming out of, of being the primary backup to Miles Sanders. So he had some experience, but that was pre-breakout Journey Brown. And pre-breakout Journey Brown was viewed in a very different way than post-breakout Journey Brown. And, and you had two true freshmen and Devin Ford and Noah Kane, who, while they were highly acclaimed coming out of high school, they had not played in a college game yet. And over those first three games, and I remember we got Cider, I think, after the first three, all four of those guys, Mark, um, all four of those guys were somewhere between 15 touches and 24 touches, no less, no more. And I just remember getting out of those games and it's like, they got to find somebody that they can really yeah. lean on or, or two or three, because four feels forced. And it feels like it's leaving them stagnant with some, some offensive pieces, almost like it felt forced at times, particularly in 2018. I think it was when they, when they rolled out the lion package with Tommy Stevens, it kind of felt like they were doing it just to do it. And it wasn't quite effective. Um, so I, I do wonder what Jay one side wants to do it. They're not certainly not talking about going for, they want a fourth guy ready because they want to maintain that three man rotation. But I'd have to imagine that coming out of that experience and then throwing in the fact that there are guys here who have played a lot of football, they are not going to go that route. I do think it's not going to be a feature back, James Franklin said, but is 15 to 18 carries considered feature back in college football now? Maybe. Yeah, well, that's the that's one of the keys for the preseason is is getting dialed in to that three, right? I mean, you know, I think – if he's healthy, no, it's going to be no okay. And I think Kevon Lee is going to be the other guy. And then they have to figure out who that third person is going to be. And that's that's a huge thing this preseason that they have to do. And and to be able to come out with that three, I think is going to be, you know, at what, go heading into to Wisconsin to be able to know who those three backs are, I think is really important. Another position that Penn State is looking hard at for a new starter at safety. We got four guys in that mix, Mark, and that became clear this week. We knew that there was a number of players competing to play alongside Jaquan Brisker, who's generated some preseason buzz as an all-Big Ten, maybe an all-American caliber safety. Who's going to be lined up next to him in Madison? Four names to know there. Jair Brown, Keaton Ellis, Tyler Rudolph, Jonathan Sutherland. This is an eclectic mix for a first-year coach, Anthony Poindexter, to work his way through. Mark, you've got a junior college product, a converted cornerback, a recent four-star signee, and a two-time team captain who's made his mark on special teams. And someone's got to step up, play solid football for this defense to maximize what it can be. Are we okay just calling him Tig Brown from now? Because that's what, uh, from Tigger, that's what everybody on the team calls him. So I think, can we go with, with okay that? Is that? Is that okay? Because it, it's, it's cut the first few times it happened in press conferences. It was kind of like, well, who are they talking about? I, you know, we didn't quite know, but now, now we actually know, but l listen, I, I am guessing that, Sutherland is going to be used more as a utility guy. And we actually saw him at practice doing some tackling drills with the linebackers. Uh, there, there was, uh, you know, we, we've talked and I think Sean was the first one to mention it earlier in the spring or the summer uh, that we're going to see uh, Sutherland as at the Sam at points. And, and I'm guessing, I don't know this for sure, but that will be when they go to some of their, you know, six, seven, eight, ten, however many defensive backs they're going to them. run yeah. run at a, at a different time. Yeah, ten defensive backs and like one linebacker. Uh, I'm joking on that, people. Um, but yeah, so I, I I wonder if the that starting role isn't going to be between. I think it's going to come down to 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 Brown and, and Keaton Ellis. Not a knock on Tyler Rudolph. Uh, it was good to hear both coaches, Franklin and Insider, uh, you know, say really good Point things about him. Yep. Yeah, or, yeah. I'm sorry, exactly. Got my my coaches screwed up. Uh, but it was good to hear both guys. Well, you don't know that Cider didn't talk about him. Cider <laughs> may have some really good things to say. But no, I think it's good. I don't know what your thought is, but my guess is going to come down to, uh, to to Brown and Ellis. And Brown, the Juco transfer, kind of a prototypical safety, I thought played really well in the backup role. And then uh, obviously Keaton Ellis, the, the converted uh, cornerback, who Poindexter had some really good things to say about. Uh, you know, said he's a guy who's used to covering people in space, but also comfortable playing up by the line of scrimmage. So uh, it's going to come down to those two guys. I think the great point part about it is, you know, number one, Brisker to me, I think 
had a great season last year. I think he's poised to have a even better season this year from everything you've heard. You know, this is a guy who came back, wanted to improve in his NFL draft stock. And from everything we've heard, you know, he's, he's going to, he's going to do that. I think he's going to be their, the best safety they've had in a while. Uh, that's not a knock on guys like Marcus Allen, but I think in terms of coverage, in terms of run support, just a guy who can do it all. And then I think when you have Brown and Ellis, uh, you know, it's going to come down to those two guys, but I think that's going to allow them to have a really good rotation of three, if not four guys. And then you have Sutherland as your utility guy who can, who can do some stuff at linebacker and obviously your special teams captain as well. It does feel like they have a lot of interchangeable pieces. I mean, we talked about defensive tackles playing defensive end for a while now, but you look at the back seven of this group, uh, safety's playing linebackers, safety's playing cornerback, who's going to play the star position, and, and Poindexter says and they feel like they've got guys who can definitely play at the third level. Maybe they can play at the second level, and they're trying to see where those fits are and, and, and what, uh, you know, depending on uh, who you're facing, game situation, you may be surprised who trots off that sidelines and checks in because if you look at the line, potential linebacker depth chart that, that Penn State's working with this year, and again, there's some moving pieces there. Has, how much is Sutherland involved? How much is Jesse Lucchetta even involved? There's some concern, though. I mean, you're, you're an injury or two away from really, really being in trouble at, at some spots, and I think Sam is included there where Curtis Jacobs has everything you look for at the position, but behind them, behind him, it's a very slippery slope right now. And I think there is room for safety to contribute. He mentioned Keaton Ellis being a guy who has cornerback skills, but safety size, an observation that, that we've made for some time, particularly as he grew out of that, you know, state college, high school physique and, and, and more into the guy that we now see in a Penn state uniform, really curious to see how we can handle himself. Because one thing with Keaton Ellis that you and I have, have, have noted for a long time is instincts are exceptional with this guy. I mean, whether he was a kick returner or receiver going up for jump balls or, or, or playing back deep in the defensive scheme at state college, you, you figured this guy could be a three-way player at the power five level if he really needed to be. And he came, comes here to Penn state. He was a fairly high pick in, in Sean and I's 11 man draft last year. And to that point, he does seem position fluid and you see him now moving over to safety I think there's a really high ceiling here. I, I'm very cautious to put two feet on the bandwagon and say Keaton Ellis is, is going to step up and be the starter and, and everyone's going to love the way he plays. But I think you you add everything from the tangible to the intangible, and it really adds up to think that the back half of Keaton Ellis' career, although different than what we may have anticipated, it could be really special and beneficial for Penn State. Yeah, and I think it actually helped him that they've recruited so well at cornerback. I mean, starting with his class, you know, I mean, obviously the, the group that they brought in that that year. But but to be that deep at cornerback where they can move a talent like Keaton Ellis to, to, to safety, I think it, it is big. I mean, it wasn't all that long ago that, you know, they were playing – guys who would go on to be NFL safeties at cornerback because they didn't have any depth at cornerback. So to be able to do that, I think speaks to how well they've recruited at and developed, you know, Terry Smith has done a really good job of developing those cornerbacks. So I think that's, that that's a, a big part of it. And yeah, I mean, when we saw him at state high now, obviously a lot of kids do this, but he played everywhere. You know, he didn't just play, obviously he played on offense. He returned kicks, uh, he played cornerback. He played safety. He moved up as a linebacker. He was everywhere. And he had and some, he had some Penn State coaches very curious about what he may be able to accomplish as a receiver at the next level. Yeah, yeah. But that's the beauty of it. And that's where I wish I wish that was the case with all of these kids in high school where they didn't specialize. Some of them do. But I wish that was the case with all of them, because then when you get to college and they ask you to move, it's really not that big of a deal. And so for him to to to, to move in there and. uh I, I think it's it's a positive, you know, all around to have that, what did you call it, position versatility or flexibility, whatever. So I think that's just a good thing. When you look at Keaton Ellis and Marquise Wilson, and, and remember, they played a big role as true freshmen in 2019 in this defensive backfield as the Big Ten schedule wore on. It's easy to forget that Tyler Rudolph was a true freshman with them that year. He has really been kind of tucked away at the bottom of that safety depth chart for a couple of years now. We haven't had a really long look at him since he came down from Connecticut as a four-star prospect. That's changed, though, in year three. And, and I'm going to let Anthony Poindester describe what he's seen on the field and kind of putting himself in those shoes as a former college safety himself, an eventual All-American down there at Virginia. His earliest days where he felt like he was starting to get it, sounds like he's seen that right now for Tyler Rudolph. 
you just remember when you was his age and you was trying to trying to get the light to turn on for you when you played. And just to see him start to settle in, start to really understand what the defense is asking him to do, you know, understand what we, ex- we the expectations of him and his ability. And, you know, like for him, the, the key is just to keep putting days back to back, you know, good day after good day after good day. Because he has a wealth of talent. He's starting to let it shine now. He, I think he's taking it more serious. And, and you know, normally kids do it at year three. They start seeing, like, hey, man, my career starting to go. It's time for me to play. So I know he want to play. I know he want to contribute uh, in the secondary. So And he's showing it. I mean, these first couple of days, he he really been um, one of our biggest surprises. And, Mark, I think it's a great thing. Um, when guys get to year three and you're not hearing about them at all, like when coaches are listing off a bunch of names or competitions are being discussed or two deep jobs and they're just not even on that radar, it's a red flag about where their career may be headed, at least here on this campus. So I think it's a very good thing for Tyler Rudolph. It's a very good thing for for Anthony Poindexter. I'm sure fans would love to hear about Enzo Jennings. Maybe you will by the end of the year. Maybe that is something that you'll hear about in 2022. He was a big time prospect coming in last year at safety, but I think that's a really nice step in the right direction for what they need from a depth perspective. I think this is a, kind of an underrated development to take place in the, in the first week is Tyler Rudolph has maintained his momentum from spring practice, and he is going to be a viable option at safety, according to both Franklin and Poindexter. Well, I also think Tyler Ru- Rudolph was kind of a, a victim of perspective, if that's, if that's a, the right way to put it, because you look at who he came in with, you know, Keaton Ellis, Joey Porter Jr., um, Marquise Wilson, yeah, Marquise Hardy, Wilson, Daquan Hardy, yeah. yeah. So you, you you come in with those three guys who all play early in their career, uh, to some extent. You know, with the new redshirt rules, guys were able to play and and still redshirt. But you come in with that group of DBs, and all of a sudden, if you're not playing, it's like, oh my god, what's wrong? And listen, we're talking 17, 18, 19 year old kids. And sometimes it just takes a little while for them to 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 to, to get it going. Now, obviously, defensive back is different than offensive line, where you rarely see true freshmen coming in and making an impact. You know, a lot of times guys come in at, at DB and are able to do things just because there's not the you don't have to make the physical transformation you do it, it, on the O line. Uh, but yeah, I mean, sometimes we have to give these guys a little bit of time, and I think that may be the case with Tyler Rudolph. But credit to him. Because guess what? When you're in Tyler Rudolph's shoes, it's probably not easy seeing all of your buddies from your class out there on the field playing, and you're not. But to keep your nose to the grindstone and get yourself to the point, and and that's why I think I don't think it was a coincidence. I don't think they just threw his name out this this week. I, I think they they realized a guy who has kept at it. And I think he's been bumped up a little bit, but I think they see a guy who's kept at it and, you know, deserves a pat on the back for, for, for grinding his way through and getting to the point where he's going to be a contributor this year. And they're going to need whatever three are not going to be a starter at safety. They're going to need them to contribute in other ways defensively, be ready to be a, a starter at safety and contribute on special teams. We know that's the case with Jonathan Sutherland regardless, but that goes for everybody else as and That's well. big for safeties. Yeah, I mean, defensive backs are huge on special teams. They use them all over. Watch. It's hilarious. You know, they have those guys lining up inside on kick block. You never know where they're going to line up. So those guys are so athletic. Yeah, they, they, all of those guys that we talked about are going to play whether it's on defense or special teams running back and safety in the spotlight on the first half of this episode coming back. We've got some other takeaways from recent availability and practice access. Uh, Some notes on an incoming quarterback for Penn state, the Nittany Lions basketball program picks up a commitment. We've got our basketball beat reporter on the show. Why not tap into what he thinks about how that coaching staff is handling itself on the recruiting trail thus far. And we'll finish things off with our five-star mailbag. It's all coming your way on the Lions 24 seven podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Continuing here on the Lions 24-7 podcast, we just spent a lot of time speaking about two specific positions. We're going to open up that, that conversation just a bit now because, Mark, uh, coming off of the practice field on Wednesday and then into the Zoom calls with, with a couple of different players and a couple of different coaches, um, one of them was Sean Clifford, who per usual carries a lot of confidence. You go back to when he committed to Penn State before his junior year of high school, the confidence was there through the rest of his career, becoming a state champion at the high school level, getting here as a third stringer, eventually the backup and eventually the starter, always been a confident individual. And he really says Mike Yersich has helped him evolve into a new version of himself. Sometimes you wonder, Sean Clifford gets asked about these coordinators so much and their impact on him. You think maybe he would get tired of answering that question, but he took this one and and, and I think a lot of people are, I mean, almost everybody in the fan base is going to say, okay, prove it. You know, Sean, I, I, I'm loving that you're confident. Let, let's see it when Penn State lines up and plays Big Ten defenses. But right now, I think you're loving everything you hear from the Yersich Clifford situation on both ends. Um, there are so there is so much that simply cannot be proven correctly uh, if you're Penn State or if you're Sean Clifford or if you're James Franklin and, and, and Mike Yersich until Penn State is playing football. There's a lot of eggs in this basket. It's the second consecutive offseason where the offensive coordinator quarterback relationship feels to be at the crux of everything that blew up in a big way last year. We've learned through our reporting and through plenty of conversations at this stage that Yursich has long been the guy that James Franklin has wanted to be in this spot. He's got a quarterback that he's had for five years. I know there's concern slash surprise that there's not another guy right now who's in that mix to maybe start, but it's Sean Clifford's job and it's Mike Yersich's job to make Sean look good. So there you are. Yeah, I mean, this is where it sucked not having access to practice last year. And I'm not being critical of Penn State. We've, we shouldn't have had access because there were bigger things. Uh, but we never got to see, you know, the Clifford, Chiraca kind of dynamic. What we are getting to see is the Clifford, you know, Yersich and, and the rest of the quarterbacks. We're getting to see that dynamic. And... I'm not sure about you, Tyler, but from what we've seen in a couple of practices, it seems to be a real positive thing out there. There seems to be a positive vibe. And I don't know what it was like last year. I don't. But I do know that the final product seemed to be that there wasn't a great vibe there. You know, quarterback, new OC. And, you know, best of luck to to Shiraka, however that works out. But so far, it seems pretty good with the way that things are working out between Yurcich and the other quarterbacks. And, you know, the one thing that, that I've seen from Sean Clifford, again, in the little time that we've been out there, he's not just taking his reps, but he's also being proactive and helping the, the younger quarterbacks. You know, this is a guy who went through a lot last year, but he's not, you know, I think he has a chip on his shoulder when it comes to the fans and maybe the media a little bit. But he's out there looking like he's being a team guy. And it seems like that dynamic between the OC and a quarterback from what we can see out on the field is pretty positive. And it needs to be because let's face it. I mean, if Sean Clifford struggles this year, it's it's we could talk about all these other positions and we could talk about depth and, you know, 85 running backs and the offensive line and the secondary. We could talk about all that stuff. But if Sean Clifford doesn't snap back to where he was a couple years ago and it maybe even get a little bit better, it's going to be a long season for Penn State. And I think there is also a case to what he was last year in a lot of ways, what he was the year before. It was just a different structure around him. It was a different supporting cast around him. And, and so it made up for some inefficiencies. I think at the end of the day, you want to see how he handles his decision making, how he's judging reads and reacting quickly. 
everything is contingent upon this. We went down the path of, of the QB2 conversation last podcast. We won't do that again for everyone's Come sake. Come on, let's get into it. <laughs> but we do have another note on quarterback in a second, but I want to shift over to kind of a, an early mystery. Uh, <laughs> there's always one or two of those uh, storylines that develop early on in, in preseason camp. Sometimes they sort themselves out and, and we look dumb for even thinking that it was a mystery. Sometimes it extends into the season and it becomes a bigger thing. Right now, the Hakeem Beeman, where is he going to end up on the field thing is is starting to rise on the list of things I'm wondering about this team, Mark, because last Saturday, as we referenced on the most recent podcast, Hakeem Beeman was not mentioned as one of those potential defensive ends you know, as they need to replace Adiza Isaac and the other guys who left this offseason, which is you know kind of counterintuitive to everything we heard in the offseason and his versatility and being a swing guy. He's listed at defensive tackle. He's under 260 pounds. We got eyeballs on him. He does look light. And then at practice, I know neither of us spotted him. Again, there's a ton happening on the field. We're out there for a short period of time, but neither of us saw Hakeem Beeman. So this was the most recent practice. So I really think he has the talent and ability to be a starting caliber player for this team. And a lot of that is depending on what scheme they are facing from an offensive standpoint. But I think he can be that kind of a cog for this defensive front, assuming everything's okay and assuming he's completely available to play that role. Yeah, I think the one thing we have to be careful that if somebody isn't out of practice, we we have no idea what, what you know, did they have a family thing. I, I, you know, I'm throwing that out there. I don't know what, what may have, my main point mentioned, my main point in mentioning that is we didn't see him working and with a position group. So that didn't give us any kind of more information. Right. Right. But I I do know that at the first practice we were at on, uh, on last Saturday, which was their second practice, he seemed to be kind of in the mix with a defensive lineman. They didn't break them down. Yeah. They didn't break them down into tackles and, and ends, but he was working with those guys and, and seemed to be be doing fine. I just I think the weird part is that we're still trying to wrap our head around is that we were hearing all these things about him in the spring, and now nobody's really mentioned him. So let's see as this goes in along. June, maybe, in June, yeah, I was hearing have, these things. Yeah, I think that's something where next week, if we have the opportunity, one of us ought to ask, mm-hmm. you know, about you know because I, I do believe that he has an he has the opportunity to be a real key guy, especially with the Disa, uh, Isaac out. Uh, with his flexibility to play tackle or end, you know, he's a guy that we probably ought to zero in on next week when we have media availabilities. Uh, Beeman was a four-star defensive end in the 24-7 sports rankings when he arrived in 2019, um, shifted over to the defensive tackle where you'll find him on the roster, but you'll also notice on that roster, he's now six foot three, 256 pounds. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll track this one and we hope to have more clarity for you next week and through our writing and through our reporting here on the Lions 24-7 podcast, we'll get in that conversation. A he bit doesn't more. lack quickness. He does not lack quickness. Oh, absolutely not. Um, we missed that joke. You missed that. No, joke. I got that joke. Okay. Uh, wide receiver. I, I think we got kind of a longer look at these guys than we did on Saturday. Um, so a couple of things that stood out to me just physically and, and just watching these guys run some routes and catch some balls. Aside from Keandre Lambert Smith, who I continue to think will be that third starter, maybe it's Cam Sullivan Brown, but regardless, I think he's going to get starter level kind of snaps right out the gate in September. To me, there's two younger receivers that uh, I'm most curious about, Malik Mega and Liam Clifford. You know, Mega, we, we've discussed it. I mean, he's just got this tantalizing skill set. There's a reason that you had Power 5 programs lining up for him when he stayed at school up in Montreal. This was not a guy who came down to, to the States to play high school football. He didn't need to, and he still got those kind of offers impressive speed really really impressive speed i believe he was in, in the four low four four range for penn state when he camped in the summer before enrolling um, and now you look at where he is he, he is bigger but he still certainly qualifies as a skinny guy but you just look at the arms the wingspan the catch radius and really the ability for him to get upfield in a hurry with those long strides i don't know right now if he can do much than run a go route cleanly that's the big question for me but Mega has the biggest ceiling maybe of anybody in this wide receiver room, especially now that Lonnie White's not part of it. And then just going to Liam Clifford, I thought he was going to look uh, more physically uh, advanced and fundamentally advanced than your average freshman. That's exactly what we've seen on the practice field. Um, he has kind of fulfilled that. I, I referenced this in the practice notes. I'm not saying he's going to have a Parker note, Parker Washington freshman season, and I'm not saying he even has the physical build of Parker Washington last year, but there is something to be said about a similarity 
lower body strength. He gets that ball, he tucks it, and he turns up field. You get a little bit of a power running back vibe, and that's been the way that we viewed Parker Washington going back to his days in high school. I still think that you circle Liam Clifford as a guy who can break through into this too deep. If that's not reflected in the week one depth chart, I think it could be reflected in the week four, week five depth chart. I just think he's a guy that's going to work his way toward that. And it's going to be fascinating if he does get on the field uh, to see how him and Sean interact. Because Franklin said himself, he's never encountered uh, a team that has a quarterback wide receiver dynamic and play between two brothers, but they didn't play high school ball together thus far. It's, it's been in the backyard and, and just practicing and throwing some balls, but something that's very exciting for, for, for both brothers, I'd imagine. And more importantly, Taylor Stubblefield needs a, a, a jolt in the arm from some of these younger receivers, Liam Clifford, maybe the guy ready to develop it. Um, I think he's more polished than Malik mega is um, overall as a wide receiver, but mega to me, you're thinking, wow, what this, what is this guy going to look like when he's 21 years old? Because for him, even if he does nothing for at Penn state for his first two or three years, if he goes out and get his shot has, has a nice stretch of, of play and what he could do in an NFL combine setting, it's not going to take much to launch this guy's football career. I'll put it that way. Yeah, I wasn't watching the wide receivers. And for people who don't know, we only have a limited window at practice. So we kind of take the divide and conquer uh, approach when when Tyler and I and the intern and, you know, when Sean. Sean's not field ready right now. Yeah. Yeah. But when Sean is ready. uh, So I was over watching the, the defensive guys. And uh, Dex, uh, Anthony Poindexter, was was teaching uh, tackling technique. And, you know, the beautiful thing about one of the beautiful things, I know people are going to mock me for that. Uh, but uh, for, for having our kind of site is that you can post video and members of the site make comments. And it's like, you know what? I didn't really realize that, but that's a great point. And, you know, what somebody said, and I'm sorry, I forget who it was, but I'm, I'm, I'm giving you credit, uh, not by name, was that in the tackling video, they so what they were doing was they, they were setting up with a, a tackling dummy and getting their shoulder on one side and then snapping it over and, and taking it to the ground. And Poindexter actually did it himself once and got up and was like, oh, man, I'm old. And uh, obviously he's not really that old. But somebody pointed out that if you watch Kalen King do that drill for a true freshman, he looks like a fifth year senior because he does it perfectly. And not only does he, he, he snaps that thing over and just puts his entire effort into it. And I thought that was a great point. When you think about where a freshman can come in and make an impact, you know, you think about the field and him having two interceptions in, in, in the spring games. Uh, but it comes down to those little things. You don't get to that point unless you're the guy in the drills who's doing it absolutely perfectly. The other thing that stood out to me when he was demonstrating, Tariq Castro Fields said, Coach, I want to make sure. Are you saying get the shoulder right here? You know, so this is a veteran saying, I want to make sure that I'm doing this rep perfectly. So these are the little things that you see. And and the other guy who, who, who stood out to me that I was like, wow, I did not realize this kid was this big. So they, they go through in different, uh, in different flights. It was station work. So Poindexter is working with these bags and the D linemen go through and then the linebackers and then the secondary, or, or I don't know if that was the order I'm forgetting. I'm old. Uh, and decrepit. I'm losing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> just like, just like Dex. Uh, but the guy physically who stood out to me, Tyler, uh, was, was Kobe King, Kalen's twin brother. Mm-hmm. You know, six one, like two forty five. I mean, he's listed. Is that what he's listed at? He's listed at six one. I'm trying to find him. What number is he? He's listed at six one, two forty five, and he carries it really well. He is not a sloppy two forty five for a true freshman. I was looking at this guy thinking, and it, again, this is through bag drills, so I'm not seeing him covering. I'm not seeing him do do doing any of that stuff. But you know, those two kings. I mean. They, they, they are some football players and obviously Kalen's going to do a lot for them, but I, you know, Kobe, I would not be surprised if you see him pop up on special teams or as a, as a guy who gets snaps, given their lack of depth at linebacker as a backup at linebacker. So those are two of the guys who kind of stood out to me when I, when I was over watching the defensive guys. Yeah, it seems to be a new name to know in the box. Uh, Will linebacker, uh, Kobe King and, 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 
With Kobe, by the way, we've already heard him referred to by Terry Smith, defensive recruiting coordinator and cornerbacks coach here at Penn State, as a future team captain, having that kind of material. So I, I think they did okay with the two King twins out of Detroit, uh, bringing them in for year one. Um, so some tidbits from the field there, and and I thought it was, man, have you ever felt more self-aware about, about, about things than when Anthony Poindexter, a former All-American, a Super Bowl champion who still seems to be in phenomenal shape, says he's old and decrepit and his body's bad, and then a bunch of us on the media beat are on this Zoom call staring at ourselves. It's pretty funny. Well, actually, yeah, I was covering Penn State when he was playing, so, yeah, if you want to talk about feeling old and decrepit, and that's why I made some of those comments. But, hey, listen, the other thing I would say about about uh, about Dex, though, was, you know, he got in there and he's wearing like a white hoodie and it had just rained. And that guy gets in there and he snaps that bag over. He's rolling on the ground. And I'm thinking this guy, I, I again, it sucked that we didn't have access to practice last year because we didn't get to see guy. We didn't get to see people. We didn't get to see these coaches. And now we're getting to see them, especially the new guys and, and how they go about doing, doing stuff. And it really, and I, and I hope that's one thing that we're trying to do. And I hope we're doing a decent job of it is project that to the people on our site, kind of what we're seeing that you can get a feel for, for what we're fortunate enough to be able to go in and see this year. A name I've mentioned here in the podcast more than people would probably anticipate for a walk-on quarterback, uh, Mannheim Township, uh, Pennsylvania quarterback, Evan Clark, set to enroll after preseason camp with Penn State, uh, confirming that this week with us. Uh, had a chance to catch up with him once again. Um, and I'll circle back to this. He, he is going to be a preferred walk-on. He is going to show up after preseason camp. You are not counting on this guy to make some kind of an impact on your depth chart when it comes to on-field purposes, but you need scout team arms. You need just more arms in the field. You've only got four of them right now and three of them on scholarship as we addressed last episode. And with Clark, didn't have a chance before his first season as a starting quarterback to go hit the camp circuit, mm-hmm. go to the elite 11s or the Under Armors or even here at Penn State or down at Temple or at Rutgers or wherever else in the region he could have gone and thrown the football in front of coaching staff. So he goes out there, first time starter last fall, no interceptions, bunch of touchdowns. His main target is Anthony Ivy, who's going to be on campus next year. He's committed to Penn State as a four-star wide receiver. So Ivy clearly is vouching for this young man. And I'll just circle back to it here. He was on Mike Yurcich's to-do list in January. I think if you're buying into Mike Yurcich as this guy is going to transform the Penn State quarterback room and, and prepare to take the next step, you got to trust in the fact that he did want this young man and he made him one of his earliest phone calls and trying to put together a plan for this quarterback room. So not on campus now. I did note his absence, so I wanted to check in with Evan. He will join the team. There are roster limitations in, in preseason camp, but I think that is an important note here because, let's face it, these guys need uh, these guys need another arm on the field. There, there's no doubt about that. Um, sh- Mark, I mentioned this earlier. We don't usually get into basketball conversations here on the Lions 24-7 podcast. A few times we do, and usually you're the one bringing us the news. Um, Here you are, and here we are. Penn State basketball picking up a commitment uh, on Wednesday. Um, I'm sorry, late on – was that Wednesday? Yeah, when we were on the practice field. Wednesday. Yeah, exactly. Uh, (laughs) um, So so they picked up that commitment. You wrote about it yesterday. Um, Can you give us just a general overview of of not just this edition per se. You can certainly hit on this one as a starting point. But how is this new Penn State coaching staff handling itself on the recruiting trail? Yeah, I mean, just really quick on Evan Mahaffey, uh, 6'6", 6'7", long, lean guy who can play all five positions at Cincinnati Moeller High School. He won't play all five positions at Penn State. Uh, but I think they, they I think they got a, a guy who uh, has a, a terrific upside, uh, not a huge score, but a terrific defender, terrific distributor, uh, team captain type guy. His dad was a coach. Uh, just a lot of good things uh, about this player. And I think he's going to be a really good fit would not be at all surprised if this is a guy who you see really his stock take off during his senior season. Uh, He's not playing summer ball this year. I'm not sure what the story is there. And, you know, uh, but, but uh, I think just a really good addition to, to, to the program, obviously a class of 2022 guy, so ideally, he signs in November, and if he does blow up as a senior, then you don't have to worry about other uh, schools trying to poach him. But with respect to recruiting Tyler, you know, I think they were put in a very difficult situation for the class of 2021, and obviously have no 
uh, high school commitments for the class of 21 or no high school enrollees for the class of 2021, which is okay because they made up for it by going out and doing a great job uh, in the transfer portal. And, you know, you look now, and I think I wrote something where the average age of this team is 21 years old. So from moving forward, obviously, they're going to have to, you know, just kill it on at the high school level, because I don't think you just simply depend on that transfer portal. But they signed Kanye Clary or they they got a commitment from Kanye Clary, a point, a point guard from Virginia uh, back in the spring or early summer. Uh, for the class of 2022. So they started to build that. But I think the important part was they were put in a tough spot for 2021 with when they came in. Uh, and it was going to be tough to bring players in for 2021 from the high school level. When they realized that wasn't going to be a thing that was going to happen, they took advantage of the transfer portal and have done a really good job. I mean, Shrewsbury, uh, so far, you know, everything that we're getting that recruits are talking about, you know, he's kind of pushing all the right buttons, but let's see where it goes from here. Uh, because again, you know, they had to rely on the transfer portal. I don't think you can do that year after year after year. I mean, yeah, you're, if you get one or two guys, but you can't be depending on five guys coming from the transfer portal every single year. Yeah. Mark, I remember that what was it about 72 hour stretch where there was just a revolving door on the Penn state roster last winter. You did a great job covering it. It feels like yeah, understandable ago. too. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, now they come out the other end, we appreciate you, you, you talking, uh, giving us the update there. Um, and, and certainly if you have, uh, if you have a need for more Penn state basketball coverage, I, I know a lot of our listeners out here are more interested in the football and the football recruiting, uh, but Mark does a great job up online. 247.com. So there's a lot of site coverage during the season and, and beyond the season as well. We're going to wrap things up here with our five-star mailbag and, and Mark, as I referenced earlier, it will bring us back to the running back room. Here's that question. Penn state's roster seems to be loaded at running back right now. Does that create any risk of losing one of the top committed recruits for next year? This is the, one of the easier softballs we've had in land. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> No, there is not much of a risk here. Um, first off, everybody that's in this room right now and, and everybody that's on the practice field right now was part of the plan for 2021 when Nick Singleton committed and when Katron Allen committed. The other thing is neither of these guys are even following a high school prospect to campus. This is a one and done situation with John Lovett. He's coming from Baylor. He's trying to maximize this moment, give himself an NFL opportunity next year, but he will not be part of the equation in 2022. Noah Kane's been telling us since he was about 14 years old that he wanted to play three years of college football and then get to the next level. He still has that opportunity if he can go out and be the kind of running back we expect. Running backs don't stick around at the college level, Mark. If you have a really good season as a junior, you're probably not back on a, on a college field as a senior that's just the way it goes um and then i think let, let's not ignore the elephant in the room here the transfer portal is going to rear its head again it's going to be a part of this i don't know who will impact um but but there are there, whoever is lost in the shuffle this year and unfortunately someone will be lost in the shuffle maybe multiple guys they're gonna maybe consider uh, an exit strategy gonna see where else they can continue their college football career and who knows maybe Penn State brings in another transfer portal option maybe it's another senior maybe it's a younger guy but there's a lot to go through that's without even getting to Nick Singleton and Katron Allen so I, I, I think the short answer is no there's no risk here uh, the longer answer is this is how it works in big boy football if you're, if you're a top running back and you want to go to a top program, you're probably following another top running back to that school. And he followed another top running back. It happens at Alabama. It happens at Georgia. It's happening at Ohio state. And it certainly has happened here at Penn state during the last four or five recruiting cycle. This is the third time in four cycles, Mark, they're going to sign multiple blue trip running back recruits. And each of these guys right now, top 10 players at the position. When you look at 24, seven sports prospect rankings, I don't think they're intimidated by the situation. I don't think Jay one Sider would be inclined to sign a prospect who was intimidated by the situation. And I think it's important to remember that while there are five fine scholarship running backs here right now, you may only have two of those guys left on the roster next August. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the risk of losing one of the top committed guys this year, you, you hit on it. It's that, that's not who you're going to lose. <laughs> I mean, all we had to do is look back at the last four or five years, right? Who are the guys you're losing? You're losing the the Ricky Slades, the Akeel Lynches. Uh, who am I missing? The running back from Harrisburg, whose name is escaping me at this point, who came in with Saquon. Uh, rats. Anyway, so you everybody, you can you can help me out with that one. But it's yeah, it's a it's a situation where um, 
with as Tyler mentioned with the transfer portal if it doesn't work out for somebody they're probably going to go and listen, there's nothing wrong with that I mean it's for a guy like like you know Ricky Slade it obviously wasn't going to pan out here and I don't know that it panned out for him anywhere else but if it wasn't going to pan out here go go try and, and get it done somewhere else listen uh, this is big boy football now and we mentioned it earlier where you're getting to a point where you're recruiting uh, for starters and for depth. And we learned last year that you better have four, five, however many scholarship running backs. But if everybody stays healthy and there's not enough opportunities, guys are going to move on. But that's not going to impact, as you noted, these guys committed eyes wide open. They know exactly what they're walking into. And they're confident enough, I'm sure, to think that they're going to be the guy. And if they're not, well, maybe something changes down the line, but I don't see it impacting their recruiting class this year. That name you were searching for, Andre Robinson. Out of Thank you. Dev- My yeah, goodness. No problem. No problem. You've covered a lot of Penn State running backs, so I, I'm not going to pin any blame on you there, Mark. And I will just note here, um, you know, you're bringing in these guys on an annual basis. I mean, big picture, I mean, if you're thinking big picture, what can I do with my football career until I'm 35 years old? I mean, to be able to go to a program, a high caliber, power five level, Penn State is, is falling in that category. But again, going back to the teams like Alabama and Georgia and, and Ohio State, who have also been able to do it, you are going to be part of a, a, a really strong culture in that in that room. It's going to challenge you. It's going to push you. It's going to help you learn about yourself. But it's also going to alleviate the physical demands on you at 19, 20 years old versus yeah. if you were to go to a lower level room, a lower level running back room, maybe you get 250 carries in year one and in year two and in year three. And then you know what NFL scouts say? He had a lot of carries in college. Uh, he's got a lot of wear and tear. I don't know if he's a guy that we really want to invest in. And look, it worked out for Miles Sanders, didn't it? Journey Brown didn't come on until late in his career. Uh, and, and ultimately that was abbreviated. But uh, yeah, I think there's something to be said for the getting in line, having patience while being persistent. And then when your opportunity comes, it may only take you a half season as a starter to really put yourself on the top of an NFL draft board or near the top of an NFL draft board. It's not like it used to be. You don't need, especially at running back. It's almost a detriment in some cases to have three years as a bell cow running back. It's not the way it used to be. Well, Jay Wan Sider has done an unbelievable job recruiting. I mean, he's been, he's been terrific. And I, I don't, you know, I think we would be naive if we didn't say that a lot of this running back recruiting success stems back to Saquon and, you know, the superstar that he became at Penn State. But I think the unsung hero in all of this is the guy you mentioned, Miles Sanders, because when you're out there recruiting, you could say, OK, well, well look, Miles Sanders came to Penn State and sat behind Saquon for two years. And then gets his shot, and now he's one of the best young running backs in the NFL. At least if I know I'm an Eagles fan. I may be a little bit biased, but uh, I think it's fair to say that. Had a tremendous rookie season, and then, uh, you know, the team struggled last year, but I think he did pretty well. But I think when, they, when they're given their recruiting pitch, I think Miles Sanders – is a huge part of what they're able to project. He's the blueprint. You, I mean, he's really yeah. the blueprint, yeah. You know, Saquon is – if anybody has illusions of coming in and being the next Saquon, you know, maybe they do. Maybe these kids think they're going to be that good, but I got news for them. You know, Saquon is Saquon Barkley. He's really a generational type player, but I think Miles Sanders is a, is a great model in that. Okay. Well, maybe he wasn't at Saquon's level, but he came in, waited his turn, was really good as a backup. And then when he got his opportunity, made the absolute most of it, and then got off to the NFL after one year. And that's, uh, you know, when, when you talk about the recruiting message that Penn State's able to send, send at running back, I think Miles Sanders is a big, big part of that. Yeah, if you're a running back coming to Penn State, you probably grew up in a community where everybody wanted the football in your hands every time they were playing on the field, going back to when you were six, seven years old. So when you get to campus and they take the football out of your hands and they say, take a seat and watch this guy play running back, if you self-destruct or you take a step back, that's really going to you know impact your progress in the years ahead. Whereas you keep your, your head down, you keep working. And again, that's why you keep pointing to Miles Sanders. I know the Penn State staff does that often. 
that is the blueprint because you come out the other side, you have your opportunity and guess what? You weren't taxed with 550 carries, you know, before your 21st birthday, like some of these guys are in college football. So a lot thrown at that for a simple no, but I think it's worth noting all those other deals. And, and that's why it works at running back. And that's why Jay Wan Slater will continue to bring in multiple guys as often as he possibly can here to Penn state. Mark. Well, you wouldn't have picked that. You wouldn't have picked that question if the answer was just no, right? <laughs> You knew we were gonna <laughs> we were gonna shoot the, the the BS over it for fifteen minutes or whatever. It was. Oh, trust me, Sean, Sean. I've thrown plenty of these questions Sean's way, where I know he'd love to emphatically just say no and turn off his his microphone. But it well, sometimes you can do that. Sometimes you can do that and make a point. Sometimes you could say no. That's not happening. Yeah. But this wasn't that case. I think there was other stuff to, to, to kind of chew on here. We appreciate the question. Please add yours. Uh, Apple Podcasts is where you can drop your five-star mailbag question, leave your rating and review, and whatever you're thinking about this Nittany Lions football squad or recruiting. Uh, we look forward to getting back with Sean Fitz next week. I think we are pretty optimistic that's going to happen early on next week, and we'll have more information to bring your way. We'll take you're not allowed little- to talk injuries. What are you doing? You can't give you – <laughs> I'm breaking my own rules here. I'm Tyler Donahue. This is the Lions 24-7 podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.